Here we go. James chapter 1, beginning, not beginning, but we'll just kind of read verse 26 in chapter 1. He says, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Yeah. Now turn over to chapter 3. We'll begin in verse 1 and we'll read through verse 12. He continues, he says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if one does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. But if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members. It stains the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So James has said a lot right there. He's talking about the tongue. And I hope you all know that is a metaphor for the things that we say. James and and others in Scripture, when talking about this organ, the tongue, and mastering the tongue, and the the troubles that, that the tongue can cause or that the mouth and the lips can get us into, they're, they're specifically speaking about the things that we say. They're not talking about the tongue as an organ. Because a tongue by itself can do nothing. But when you connect it to a mouth with lips to form words, when you give it a brain that conceives ideas that want to be expressed, when you add the breath of the body then you have an apparatus for communicating great things. You have an apparatus for communicating destructive things. Great good and great evil. Great wisdom and great foolishness out of the same apparatus. And all of that boils down to the basic element of communication and all of its forms. We can communicate with the words that we speak from our mouth using our tongue, and we can communicate just as powerfully with just as much potency, maybe even more potency, with the things that we write, the things that we post, the things that we share. 
In this passage that we just read in chapter 3, and in fact throughout all of the scriptures, when dealing with the issues of what we say, how we say it, the biblical writers may as well have said that your pen is as much in need of taming as your tongue. Or, or your typewriter, or if, let's not be old school about it, let's say your keyboard and your phone are as much in much need of taming as your tongue. James is talking about communication here, the things that we say, either whether we speak them through our mouths or we write them with our hands. And in today's world, with the social platforms that we have, the things that we share and like and post, etc., and etc., all of those are communication tools. All of those are very powerful. Don't believe it? One tweet from a prominent person can crash markets or start wars. Amen. Amen. One tweet, one sentence. All of those are very powerful. And all of those have great impact because they all use words. And we'll get to the power of words in a bit, but... For the time being, I just want you to consider that God chose to reveal Himself. The God of the universe, the God of all creation, chose to reveal Himself to us through the spoken and the written and the embodied Word. John, the beloved, rightly recognized Jesus as the very Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And in verse 14, the Word was made flesh. He is the message, the proclamation, the declaration of the Lord's amazing grace. Words matter, church, in all of their forms. Have you ever been to a doctor and they ask you to stick out your tongue Anyone ever had that? Stick out your tongue. Let me say, why in the world do you want me to stick out my tongue? Because your tongue can tell the physician whether or not you are sick or have been sick. And that is a truth that is a great parable about our souls. That's very accurate about the state of our soul as well. Jesus said what comes out of your mouth is out of the abundance of your heart. Jesus said uh, that it wasn't what goes in the mouth that defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles him. The things that we say, the things that we write, the things that we post and share, they all have great power. And James, the brother of Jesus, would give us several warnings about this thing we call words. There are four warnings I want to draw your attention to, and they are reasons why we ought, to be, we ought to be very concerned about the things that we say, about taming the tongue. The first warning that James gives us is that words are wild and very difficult to tame. Amen. So go back to verse 2 in chapter 3. James does not remove himself from the equation as he's writing here. He does not come to the subject as someone who has conquered it. Like Paul who says, I don't count myself to have apprehended. I'm still running this race. James comes to this and he says, brothers, I'm still running this race with you. I'm a fellow laborer towards this goal with you. He says, for we all stumble in many ways. Everybody stumbles. And look at what he says about the person who does not stumble in the things that he says. In other words, the person who has learned to tame or bridle the tongue. He says that he is a perfect man. I don't know about you, but how many perfect men do you know that have ever walked the face of the planet? I can only think of one, and that's Jesus so in James's view, the only one who was ever able to truly tame the tongue was our Lord Jesus Himself. Amen. 
Now, this is not to put this goal out of reach for us mere mortals. This is not to say you can't attain this. This is to say that we need the clear and present grace, the power of Jesus Christ in our lives to be able to come close. The Bible teaches very clearly that we are being transformed by the renewing of our minds into the image of the likeness of Christ. Romans 12, 2, and that's 2 Corinthians 3, 18. Our desire and ability, church, to say, our desire, all the things that we want to say, (laughs) the things that we want to say, our ability to say whatever it is that we're thinking, that's such an unruly thing. It's such a wild thing that we need the help of Almighty God in order to tame it. We can't do it on our own. In fact, in Psalms 141, the psalmist calls out in verse 3, he calls out to the Lord crying for help for this very thing. He says, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Keep me, O God, from saying something stupid or hurtful or destructive or foolish or even sinful. Set a guard over my mouth. How many of us are praying that way? Lord, guard the things that I say. Lord, prevent me from speaking foolishness. That's my prayer every time I get up to speak, especially when I get up to preach and minister the Word of God. Lord, guard my mouth. And if I say anything, and if I desire to say, or if I try to say anything that contradicts your holy word, that's not consistent with your character, shut me up in whatever way you deem necessary. That's the last thing I want to do is misrepresent my Lord or His Word. And that's why James gives us that caution in verse 1 about people being teachers. Because we who teach, we are judged with a stricter judgment. It is so very important that when you take upon yourself the name of Christ, when you say, hey world, I am a Christian that is taking the name of the Lord upon you, You are representing Him. You must realize that when you say, I'm a Christian, when you identify with Christ, you are representing Christ and not yourself. Paul said, therefore I live, yet not I, but Christ in me. I'm Christ to the world. And when they see me, hopefully they're seeing Christ, not a bad representation of Him. We ought to be very concerned about what kind of representation that we are giving, how we are presenting the world our Christ, Amen. especially in the things that we say. Taming the tongue is not just about saying the right things because, church, even the truth can be wielded as a weapon of violence. Even the truth can be spoken in, in hatred and with a, a, an intended harm. Taming the tongue also involves how we say things. Raising my children, I often told them, girls, it's not, it's not what you say, Only, it's how you say what you say. That how you say it matters just as much as what you're saying. Taming the tongue involves knowing when to speak and when not to speak. Oh, that I could have learned that earlier in my marriage. (laughs) When to shut up. So there's a negative restraint for it. That's why Proverbs speaks about the wise man restraining the tongue. The prudent man restrains his words. He says, the uh, words of a man are like a mighty deep river, but wisdom is a babbling brook. I mean, everybody's got words, but wisdom trickles. Do you see the image? We have to tame our words. We have to bring under subjection the things that we say. 
our tongue. Remember what James alluded to in verse 2. No one but Jesus Christ has ever been able to master the tongue. Our only hope as we try to, to be sanctified in this area is that we belong to Christ and that we are being made increasingly like Him as we study Him in His Word. The battle for sanctification in this area is a very long one. It is not a short fight. And it needs to be fought every minute of every day. And the minute you think you have arrived, take a step back because you haven't. The tongue is difficult to tame. It's difficult. And I wonder if we are fighting that fight. I mean, really. Or have we fallen victim to the cultural, popular ideology that in order to be completely and truly and authentically you, you have to say everything that you think and feel. The tongue is difficult to tame because the entire world around you would like to tell you that you are a fool if you don't say what's on your heart. And I use quotation fingers. And so you are denying your true self by keeping something to yourself. You're being inauthentic unless you speak out. That's a direct product of the outrage culture that we we live in. Everyone has to voice their outrage. And Lord, goodness, how much we've seen that in the last few weeks. The Bible says instead that we must speak the truth in love. Rather than voicing outrage, let's speak the truth in love. So two elements of speech or communication that we must have in right speech, in right use of our, our tongue, this gift that God has given us to wield such great power, is that we speak first truth and we do it in love. Yeah. Is it true? Is it loving? Is it true? That, that's not enough. Mm-hmm. Just because it's true doesn't mean you should say it. Amen. Is it loving? If it's loving and only loving but not true, honey, do these pants look tight? It may be loving to say, no, baby, they look great, but it's not true. Truth, (laughs) hear me, truth in love. Is it true? Is it loving? Any of you who are parents will know very well that many times rebuke is both truthful and loving. And because of our failings to tame the tongue, rebuke also can be untruthful or unloving. Amen. Amen. As Christians, we must strive to do better in this area for a very important reason, which is warning number two that James gives us. Words, he says, well, number one, they're difficult to tame. And number two, they are very, very powerful. Words have such great power, even disproportionate power. Look at how James speaks about the tongue in verses 3 and 4. He says, If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. They are so large and are driven by strong winds, and they are guided by a very small rudder. A tiny bit in the mouth of a horse guides the whole body. That is extraordinary power and influence concentrated into one small object, isn't it? And then in verse 4, the the whole ship is guided by a small rudder. Again, that's great power and influence centralized in a very small, relatively small object. 
It's the same with the tongue, with the words that we say, the things that we choose to communicate. You know, the tongue has power that is greatly out of proportion to its size. And words, they seem like they go and just vanish into the air, but they linger. They have power greatly beyond our ability to perceive. Just like the connection of of a rudder to a ship and the ship's helm, that's the control center, the tongue is controlled by the mind. And that's a mind, Christians, that is supposed to be being renewed into the image of Christ every day. So powerful is the tongue, the words that we say, powerful for both good and evil. You ever been in a closed space with someone that had really bad breath? Immediately, it's obvious to you this person has a problem with bad breath, but the person who has the bad breath is oblivious to it. It's the breath that's coming out of their own body. Here's the thing, if we knew, if you knew that your breath was foul and offensive, you'd do something about it. You'd use some mouthwash, you'd take a breath mint, so as to not be offensive. But we rarely take such care with the words that we say. And they have infinitely greater power to offend, even destroy, than our breath does. That's why the Bible cautions us about negativity. That's why they have that phrase that says, don't walk from negative people, run from them, because it is a toxic cancer. We have a third warning. Words have disproportionate power, and with that disproportionate power comes a mighty power to destroy. Have you ever heard the expression, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words may never hurt me? Everybody heard that? I grew up with that. I heard that. I even said that a few times as a kid. Sticks and stones that break my bones, but words can never harm me. You know what? It's a lie. It's a lie. Now that, that, that may be true in the most physical sense, but it is most certainly not true in the psychological, spiritual sense. And here's the thing, get this, it it has been demonstrated through scientific observation that a person's psychological and mental mental health, their spiritual well-being has a direct and indirect impact on their physical health. You ever heard them say that someone died of a broken heart? You know, that's a real thing. They just, they just give up the will to live, and so they, they stop eating because they have no appetite. They have a physiological response to a psychological condition. They just shut down. I, I remember when my grandpa, my grandma, grandmother, uh, Polly, passed away, and I had to go to the nursing home and tell her best friend, Laureen, that, that she had died. Now, they had been friends longer than I've been alive. And they, man, they did everything together. The things they got into. Uh, but I, when, I was, when I had to tell Laureen uh, that her best friend had passed away, and that's all, she, they, they, they had each other. I mean, they were both widows, and, and they'd been through, through life together. That's what they had. They had each other. And, and when I told her that Polly had passed, she just, she just sank. She just sank. And I remember distinctly her looking up and saying, I wish I could go too. And do you know what? It wasn't but a matter of weeks that we buried her. The, the emotional condition that you're in can have a very physical impact 
We must be careful what we say. Look how James puts it as he speaks about the destructive power of the tongue in verses 5 and 6. He says in verse 5 that the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts great things. And look at how he warns us. He says, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire. Look what words can do. That's what he's saying. Look what your words can do. Your words can burn down forests. Look at the destructive power of something that's so small. And even more than the ability to destroy is the propensity to destroy. The, the, The natural inclination of the words that we say, the things that we say, the natural inclination of the tongue leans toward destruction. Now just think about the conversations you have. Think about the things that you want to say but don't say and tell me I'm wrong because I'm not. The natural inclination in the fallen state of man is toward destruction, especially in the things that we say. Amen. That's our natural, unconditioned use of words. Why is that? Well, he tells us because the tongue is a world of unrighteousness. Amen. It's set on fire by hell itself. It sets fire over the entire course of the life and it stains the whole body. A small fire can destroy an entire forest. All it takes is one uncontrolled spark and that's the tongue. One sharp word, one loose sentence, one callous comment can cause a fire that cannot be extinguished. Words can consume and destroy a life. You know, you don't have to look very far back in time to be able to see in our offense-driven culture people who are prominent in prominent positions who are utterly destroyed for a single sentence that they said. Something that they wrote, something that they spoke, some of them even decades ago. They said something that was cute at the time, that the culture of the time didn't have a problem with, but because of the shifting sands of cultural ideologies, now it's suddenly out of favor, now it's suddenly offensive, and whole lives are destroyed by a sentence ill-placed 20 years ago. Now, don't don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that you should always live in fear of offending someone because, Lord, we we wouldn't be able to say anything these days. Somebody's going to get offended no matter what we say. People are very quick to offense. They're too quick to offense. But that, that is a pride issue more than anything else on their end. But the Bible gives us a warning about that too, though. Amen. He says, in the world, you're going to have offense. But woe to the one that brings the offense. If, if I speak the truth in love, and I, and I mean really true and really in love and you're offended by that, then you have a problem with pride. If my intentions are to harm, even if I'm speaking the truth, if my intentions are to harm or to cut or to jab, if my intentions are not loving or my words are not true, then woe to me for bringing the offense. Amen. Amen. I, I put out a, a post on Facebook yesterday in my semi-regular Jesus Joy and Coffee posts that I do. That some people might read it and think it's abrasive. I was very careful with what I said and how I said it, though. I was very careful about the intentions of my own heart when I wrote it. 
And I know that I was speaking the truth in love. I took the time and the energy to ensure that I was... I took the time in prayer to make sure that my attitude and my words were pure. Not many people do that. And when they do do it, they don't do it often. Here's a final warning that James gives us I want to bring your attention to. Our words unmask a deadly inconsistency in our Christian lives. They reveal deadly inconsistencies. Verses 8 through 12, he talks about it. He says, No human being can tame the tongue, again showing us our desperate need for the power of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, with our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Amen. Do, you, do you see the inconsistency here? Amen. You cannot bless God, sing praises to God, sing worship to God, and then turn around and curse your fellow man. Now, I want you to look carefully at the language that James uses. He's not talking about just your Christian brother. Now, there's a lot of things that, that apply to the Christian brother, how we are to treat Christian brothers versus how we are to treat the rest of the world. But here, James is very clearly not talking about just our Christian brother. He says those who are in the likeness of God. That's all mankind. Amen. He goes back to Genesis. And in Genesis, God said, let us make man in, let us make man, that's mankind, everybody, in our image. We are all image bearers. Of God, whether we are Christian or not, whether we are redeemed or not, whether we are Republican or Democrat or conservative or liberal, liberal or black or brown or white or red or yellow or young or old or born or unborn or man or woman, we are all made in the image of God and we are all precious because of that. That is why. Everybody matters. Speaking right directly into the the cultural times that we're in, that's why everybody matters, and that is why black lives matter. It, It is being presented today, and I want you to be careful about this, guys. It is being presented today that if you say black lives matter, you don't mean all lives matter. That those are two opposing things. If you say all lives matter, then you don't mean that black lives matter. That is not... that all Black lives matter because all lives matter. Amen. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? Amen. Jesus left the 99 to go after the one. It wasn't that the 99 didn't matter. It was that the one was the one that needed his help. Amen. That life mattered. Yes. All of the lives mattered. So they're not opposing viewpoints. So I, I would caution you to be careful how you, how you share those things. Make sure that when you, when you put that out there that you're, that you're qualifying it with everybody matters. Black lives matter because everybody matters. Amen. Amen. I see that shared these days all around, all over my social media feeds and Twitter and Instagram, Facebook, all that stuff. And people are getting up in arms about that. And I'm wondering, do you, do you realize what you're saying? They're not opposing ideologies. I'm going to get off that one before I get in trouble. (laughs) He says we can't praise God with the mouth and with the same mouth curse our fellow man. He makes it clear that there is a deadly inconsistency of the tongue when we praise 
God and curse people. Let me be clear about this, though. Cursing someone is not the same as constructive criticism. All right, again, truth that is spoken in love, it, it may sting. All right, when I speak the truth in love, when you speak the truth in love to me, it may sting me, but it should not destroy me. It, it should have the effect of building me and, and spurring me on to good and better works. So look at verse 10. From the mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. And then he gives some physical demonstrations. Can you get salt water from fresh and fresh water from the same spring? Can you get olives from a fig tree or figs from a grapevine? And the obvious answer is no, you cannot. And with this demonstration about the inconsistencies of the tongue, he is just adding weight to the warning that he gave in that very first passage that we read in chapter 1, verse 26, where he says, if anyone thinks he's religious and doesn't bridle his tongue, his religion is worthless. Isn't it telling, I think, that James says that the hallmark, the the sign of of a worthless, ineffective, non-saving piety, religion, is a failure to bridle the tongue. More specifically, the inconsistencies in one who claims holiness or piety, but still spews poisonous venom from their mouth. And listen, James, this is James. This is the guy who said faith without works is dead. All talk and no fruit, no root, no real depth. You know, people can throw around, around weighty words like, like they're balloons, big words, that balloons that just fill the room. But at the end of the day, they're just full of hot air. There's no substance. And sadly, I know, I know of preachers who do this every Sunday. And they call it preaching. They're, they're real good at stirring up the crowd. And thank God for that. We need some excitement. Amen. They're real good at quoting the right catchphrases and real good at bumper sticker theologies. But at the end of the day, ask the congregation, what doctrine, what reproof, what instruction did you get? Because all scripture is profitable for those three things, for reproof, for instruction, and for doctrine. What of that did you get? And they say, I don't know, brother, but it was a good service. The Holy Spirit was on fire today. And I'm not saying that he wasn't, but what was the word preached? Or were balloons being thrown around full of hot air? Too many Christians, I fear, we know all the right words. We know when to stand and when to sit. We know when to sing and when to shout. But they're all words and they have no weight. So I challenge all of us this morning... We must do everything that we can to tame our tongue. The words that we speak, the things that we write, the things that we post and share, they have great, disproportionate, destructive power. You must realize that the depth of your sin, the pollution of your heart, your need for saving grace are all made very visible in the words that are spoken from your mouth or written by your hand. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. The tongue that has destructive potential to burn down an entire forest or destroy an entire life also has the potential to ignite a revival. To give life. It is the tongue that is used to preach the gospel message. It's the tongue that is used to praise and exalt the Lord Most High. So church, dear Christians... Let there be no inconsistencies between your profession of faith in Christ and your speech toward your fellow man. 
And if you find inconsistencies, use some mouthwash so that your breath doesn't stink. No, use some mouthwash. What do I mean by that? That means wash your mouth with the water of God's holy word so that when you speak, your words will have the same fragrance as His. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your holy word. It is good and holy. And I praise you for the admonitions that you have given us in it. I pray, Lord, that you will go with us in strength and give us strength to be not just hearers of the word, but doers also. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.